Ooh, that worship was really special, wasn't it? Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. That really was, I think, you know, the Bible talks about worshiping God in spirit and truth. That man. If that wasn't, man, and today we do worship in spirit and truth, it's going to be. We're getting, we're getting there. We're getting closer to something, man. I'm telling you, that was beautiful. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's good. And the Lord always inhabits the praises of His people. Amen. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to get this and get done. Escape. All right, we're going to read Matthew 16, 15 through 19. And I know we've read this scripture many times in this church. Uh, simply because it is such a living word, at least in my life, and I think many people's life. Uh, He said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's the question that everybody is going to have to answer more than once in your life. More than once in your life. And it's not a bad thing when the Lord asks you that question when He comes from time to time. Simon Peter answered and said, You're Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So what's... So, so much in this, you know, uh, there's the question, there's the revelation, um, there's uh, revelation of Peter's identity, uh, there's revelation of the kingdom of God and the power of the kingdom being entrusted to people, there's the revelation of the church, and, the, and there's a revelation of the, of the defeat of the devil. That's good news, right? A defeated foe. But there's also uh, the thing that I wanted to point out this morning a little bit more was about the revelation of of foundation. I know I've been talking a lot about foundation recently because I believe the Lord wants us to take a look at our foundations because your foundation is what you build upon and it's a time to, to go up. God wants us to build. He wants to build the body of Christ up. He wants to build us up. And if you are building on the right foundation, whatever you're building is going to stand. If you're building on the wrong foundation, it's not going to be good. Well, whatever you're building, if you're using the precious building material, uh, which is revelation, I think. Uh, anyways, uh, Psalm 11.3 says, If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, uh, what can there? And the answer obviously is nothing. If our foundational beliefs and our what we've built our life upon, if it's not true, then as Paul said when he was talking about Christ being resurrected from the dead, if that's not true, we are the most pitiful people on the face of the planet. Everything's vanity. Our faith is futile. It's dead. There's no reason for for any of this. So there's nothing that the righteous can do if the foundations are destroyed. But we have a sure foundation that can't be destroyed. We really do. And really the key for us is to tap into our foundation, the foundational truths of the gospel, of the kingdom, 
and the foundational things that God speaks to men and women's hearts on a personal level, like this truth that the Lord said to Peter, you are Peter, you're something, you're not what everybody says you are, you're something else. Because up to that point, he was a very sketchy person at best. But starting at that moment, something began to change in him. There was a seed that was planted in his heart that day. It, maybe on the outside he didn't act any different. Maybe he did the same things he always did. Of course he did. We have the record of Scripture. But that day came when that thing that God said burst forth in him and became a living reality in his life. And the true Peter was manifested. And that's really the thing that the devil wants from you and I. He wants that thing from us. He wants to rob that thing from us because he does not care about a lot of things that you believe because the Bible says even the demons believe. You know, demons believe stuff. But there's some things that if you lose, you will lose everything. You will lose everything. If Peter had lost who God says he, says he was and is, he would have never done. He would have never been First Peter, Second Peter. There had never been a gospel of John Mark or the gospel of Mark. None of those things would have happened. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, let me read this again to you. Uh, this is Acts 1, 1 through 3. This is, this is just amazing. The former account... I made O Theopolis of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up. After he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had cho chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So, like I said... There's like much in the four Gospels that Jesus did and said. And there's much that we can, you know, tap into that rock of who He is in those four Gospels. And I really encourage you to become a person that reads the Gospels all the time. Uh, you know, I read the Bible, you know, all through the Bible constantly, reading through the Bible and starting over and reading through, reading through. But I'm always reading in the Gospels. And I really encourage you to make that a habit in your life and to put a focus on the person of Christ. Make that your primary focus. Don't make finding out stuff a focus because who cares about finding out stuff? It doesn't make any difference in your life. But if you'll make Christ the person a focus, he said if you'll seek first the kingdom, which is inherent that you can't seek the kingdom without seeking the king and his righteousness, everything else comes with that seeking. All the other things, all the stuff you would like to know. And that's really, will, that will change your life if you'll begin to do that. It will transform you, the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 3.18. By focusing on the Lord, we're transformed from glory to glory as He reveals Himself in different ways and in different fashions in your life because God is not one-dimensional. He has many faces. He's like a diamond. His face is like a diamond. There's different aspects of Him that He wants to reveal to people at different times and different seasons in their life. If you're stuck on how God revealed to you Himself to you last year, you're, not, you're stuck because God is saying, there's more to me. There's more to me. I loved Becky when I first met her. She was 17, you know, when I first met her. And I remember that 17-year-old girl who could not cook. <laughs> 
but now she cooks pretty good. So that's a different part of Becky now I know. I love the memory, but I don't love the food. <laughs> I had to teach her how to cook. Not that I knew how to cook, but I knew what my mama did, and I just told her this is what my mama did. Do this, this, and this. Yes, Becky knows that. It's true. She has no issues with that. <laughs> there, nothing. Anyways, back to the Bible. Back to the Bible, Becky. I believe there's four vital revelations that Jesus gave here that are really important for us. It says that he spent 40 days convincing these people that he was alive. Okay, and I think God sometimes just has to convince us that he's alive. We all believe and know he's alive, but he wants, to, he wants us to know that he wants to be active in our lives as a God that's alive, that's active here and not just off in the distance. And he's still doing that with people. He's still trying to convince unsaved people that he's a living God. And the church must really hang on to this truth that Christ is alive He's alive. He's living. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a historical God. We serve a God that's alive today. And it says he spent 40 days. You know, you'd think one time if you saw a guy that was dead, that you knew were dead, you would think one time if he walked in the room, okay, that's good enough. You're alive. We know that. No, it says he over and over and over was convincing them that it was true that he was alive. That was important to Jesus. I'll tell you, it needs to be important to us. We need to make that an important part of our Christian life. I will never forget one time talking to John Arnott, and we were talking about soaking. And I was asking, well, well, you know, I've been soaking for years, John. It's gotten really boring to me. What do you do to keep this? He says, you know what I do many times? When I feel nothing, think nothing, I just think about Christ dying on the cross. I just focus on that, and then I think about His resurrection. Then I think about Him ascended into heaven. He said, every time I do that, Something happens to me that's profound on the inside. I love him more. I care about him more. I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good counsel. A lot of people, well, I just don't feel nothing. You know, think about these things. The other thing he did, which uh, I talked about last week, is he preached on one topic for 40 days. He talked about one thing. And I'm shocked that he talked about one thing in one way. God could have talked about... Like I said, would you not love if someone came back from the dead? Wouldn't you want to question them about what it was like on the other side? You would want to know details. What, what, how do the angels look? What does God's throne look like? What do dead people, how do dead people who die, what happens when they cross over? What, tell me all those details. He spoke nothing about that. He says he spoke about the kingdom of God. Because he knew that was the most important thing. Those other things are secondary things to, to the kingdom of God. That's why the, he, he preached the same message that he preached the most before he died. It was true. Over 70 times, Jesus made reference to the kingdom of God in the Gospels. More than any other thing. More than any other thing, that was his topic of conversation. That was his very first message that he ever spoke to the church was about the kingdom of God. And the last thing he's telling these important men, before, before I go, we have to settle this thing about the kingdom. We have to talk about it more. There's more to be said about it. There's more to be said about the kingdom. 
I'll tell you that. Yes. I'll tell you that. And the, then the, I'm going to skip over and just tell you the last thing, just so you'll know, is the last thing was he went to heaven. He went back to heaven. He says, Jesus ascended to heaven, and now he's sitting on the right hand of God. Uh, that's such an important truth yes. for the church because that's our basis for hope. Because without that fact, there's no such thing as hope. Everybody wants to have hope, but this is the basis for hope. We got a, a God, the hope of glory. We got a God that's going to come back one day because He's alive and He's living and He wants us to keep these things. If you don't know what to think about, think about those kinds of things. Put those things in your mind. And when you begin to do that, it will have a, a, a traumatic effect on you spiritually. I wonder. I wondered while we was worshiping for a moment. I checked out of out of where I was at spiritually to try to check in. What would it? Because I've been there. Trust me, I know how people think. Because I've been one of those people who sat in church, and God's presence and love was being so demonstrated, but not to feel it, not to connect with it, to be bored with it. Actually, you hear what I'm saying to you. That's the plight, the, the plight of mankind. Yeah. That's our natural state. But when God begins to become a greater reality in your life, there's nothing born. That's the, the thing that I want to say, the thing that we're seeing, and that was the thing we live for. Is God, I want to be close to you because apart from you, there's no life. I want to be near your heart. God wants to make that so real in us that it becomes an emotional feeling in us. And it rises up in us. It rises up in us. There's no condemnation when you feel bummed and bored with stuff like that. But I'll tell you something. I'll tell you something. God is real. God is alive. And He, he really is the reason for living. He really is the reason for He gives meaning to this life. He gives total meaning to this life. And when you, He allows us to touch His heart from time to time, we rediscover why we're here. We rediscover the reason for living. It's Him. It's God Himself because He makes everything beautiful. The Bible says in its time, and He'll make our life a beautiful life, inwardly at least. Inwardly. And I want to encourage you you know, when, when you, if you feel disconnected, if you feel away, away, or you feel distracted, or like I used to go to church and, and everybody would be uh, violently worshiping the Lord. I'm talking about violently in a good way. And I would be thinking about what I was going to do the next day. You know, I'd be thinking about, you know, my mind was full of everything else except for I wasn't present. I wasn't present in the moment. And my life was slipping away from me. And the very thing that gives life was right there in front of me, invited me into that life, and I was missing it for years. Well, I'm just telling you a few testimonies here. Amen? Well, this is actually what I wanted to talk about this morning. I really wanted to talk about what Jesus instituted in the church before the church was birthed is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God came up with that ideal. Yes, it's a great one. Uh, you know, I don't. I was saying, I don't know other words. You know, I was saying that he instituted, he commissioned, he he made it a a part of the foundation of the church is this experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And anybody who wants to argue anything else, you just listen gracefully and walk away 
and say, God bless you. But Jesus is the one who came up with this plan. Jesus is the one who instituted this. Not us. No, it wasn't the Pentecostal revival back in, in Azusa Street. They didn't come up with this deal. They were just responding to a truth that was being revealed to them. You know, and it's not some, you know, charismatic crowd on TV or wherever that came up with this thing called baptism in the Holy Spirit. God came up with it. And so to argue with it is to argue with God. That's why you don't argue with people by it. You just let them think what they want to think. Move on with your life. Uh, but let me read this. Are y'all okay? It says in, in verse 4, Being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. He commanded He didn't say, oh, you know, it'd be nice if y'all hung around here because of something special. No, he said, no, sir. You, if you're followers of me, this is what you need to do right now. You need, and you need to stay here because something's going to happen here. Okay, but wait for the promise of the Father. We've said this many times, but that's the only the promise of the Father in the entire Bible. And according to Chuck Swindoll, back in 1988, whenever I heard him say this, there's 7,470-something promises in the Bible. But there's only one the promise. Only one the. Only one the. And And so what... Jesus was saying, this is the most important promise there is. You have many promises over your life that are great and awesome from God, right? But there's one that's more important, the promise, the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You're going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit is what he was saying. In another place in Luke, when he said the same thing, he says, I'm go- you're going to be clothed with power from on high. You're going to be clothed with power from on high. And it's like putting on clothes. That's what the Holy Spirit is like. And He happens to be the clothes. You know, the thing is, is we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We put on the Holy Spirit. We're immersed in the Holy Spirit. We've got to grow up into Him. That's the thing. Right? That's, that's, that's the key. We've got to grow up into the clothes that He's put on us. When I was a kid, they bought pants that were way too big for you. Because you were too dang poor to buy them every time you turn around, the new fads came out. You just bought these pants and you had these big old cuffs rolled up. Cuffs today are popular with people. Well, back in my day, they were necessary to wear the pants. They were about nine or ten inches too long because your mama knew you was going to grow, you know. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's true. That's how you did it back. That's how people did in my day when I was a child. You didn't necessarily appreciate it, wearing pants were hanging off of you and too long and all rolled up. and You didn't look very cool, but you're saving money. Because we could go through some pants. I'll tell you another thing I used to do. Some of you might remember, kids will wear out pants. Uh, boys will anyway. They'll get holes in the knees. Well, they used to have these iron-on patches. <laughs> They would iron these patches on your pants. So there you were walking around pants that were too big, rolled up, and you had a big old patch on the knees that was ironed on. You just iron, your mama irons it on, throws it back to you, keep wearing them, you know. Now holes are popular. You wonder something. You know, I would have been the most popular kid in school if this stuff would have been this popular today. I would have been right in with every, I would have been Metro or, or what's the other one, Lumber, Metrosexual Lumber. So I would have been right on the cutting edge. This stuff that people are doing, it's not news. They saw some pictures of some poor kids and figured out this is a cool look. It's true. Anyways, 
Yeah. Yeah. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I don't really fault them for asking that question. A lot of people fault the disciples, saying they were too nationalistic and all that. But they're like us. Like I said last week, the kingdom of God brings many questions. They had been taught for those 40 days by a guy who was dead and now he's alive. And three years before, by the same guy, he taught them over and over about the kingdom, and they still weren't getting it. And by the way, they had received the Holy Spirit at that moment. He had breathed on them, remember? And they still, see, so you can't fault these people. We're, we're bumbling and fumbling around today about the kingdom of God. Yeah, we can, we can define it, like I talked about. We can define it. We can say all this stuff about it, blah, blah, but, you know, and just give a great theology on it. But the truth is, we ain't got a clue about it. Because when we get, start getting clues about it, that's when a real transformation in the church is going to happen. That's when we grasp hold of the kingdom of heaven and what it really means today. I'm just saying that, trying to protect our good apostles. Not that they needed it. And he said to them, It's not for you to know times or season which the Father has put in his own authority. Let me say this about that little thought. Um, I, a few years ago, God... For whatever reason, he might have made a mistake. If God is capable of making a mistake, I'm just joking. But he gave me some revelation about things that were going to happen in the future. And they were not good things. And they all came to pass. Every one of them. And I was like suddenly thinking, wow, I have this new gifting that God is going to show me the future I'm going to know about future events and, you know, things and even these bad things. So I I was just really like, well, okay, let's just say, you know how a rooster is? (laughs) That sort of of maybe described me at that moment because I was so pleased that God would look at this young man and choose to give me revelation about very significant events and then they come to pass. So I knew God's going to use me like this. From now on, I'm going to, I'm going to be a teller of the future. And, and I'm going to know things before they come to pass. I'm going to tell people. They're going to, they're going to, and things are going to happen. This, this is going to be an amazing ministry I'm going to have. Well, I began to pursue that. I began to study uh, current events and, and things, asking God to speak to me. And the more I did that, the quieter God got. And the more unspiritual I felt. And the more uh, uh, carnal I became, honestly, I became more and more distracted. And one day I was reading these scriptures and that verse popped out to me. Just, zoom. It's just not for you to know that, Byron. That's what he was saying. Don't even concern yourself with that. Now, let me say this. I believe there's people who have a genuine calling towards that. I'm not... Disdaining that. I'm not saying for everybody. I'm just talking about Byron Wicker. I'm just talking about how God deals with me. You know, sometimes we get these concepts in our mind and we and God does something and we take off running like a maniac thinking, oh yeah, this is the way it's going to be. And God, and God never explained himself to me about it. He just told me, stop doing that. That's, this is not your calling. That's all he said to me. You need, there's other things you need to put your focus on. And that ain't it. And so I did. 
And I haven't had any more of those kind of revelations to this day. I wouldn't mind having some, but I'm not trying to get those kinds of revelations. Anyways, he said to them, It's not for you to know the time of season, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what I think the, what the Holy Spirit does is he does this. Is everybody, we don't need any more information. We don't need correct information about God. It's nice to have. But what people really need is an encounter with God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon us in the baptism. We have a real living encounter because you can't be a witness to something until you encounter that thing, until you have a personal experience with that. Then you are a, a credible witness. You can go and represent him. And that's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, you're going to represent me. But before you try to represent me, there, you need to have this God encounter, this power encounter with, the, with, with my spirit. And when you do that, then you can do all this, these things that you're going to be, be called to do. And you will become a witness of a living God. Well, now I want to tell you something that happened to me several years ago. I had this dream. Um, thank God I, I, the Lord never took dreams from me. Right? Yeah. Who said amen? Raise your hand. There you go. Thank you, Linda. Well, there's a, there was a, a guy named uh, Claudio Friedson. Anybody know who he is? He is a pastor from Argentina, Buenos Aires. And so this was before I really, I knew he existed. I'd heard about him, you know. But I had this dream, and he appeared to me. I knew what he looked like. Claudio appeared to me in the dream, okay? This was a really profound dream. It was not just a regular dream. This is one of these encounters. And he wanted to talk to me in the dream about building for revival. Because he said to me, if you don't build right, when the revival comes, it'll wipe you out. And in the dream, he says, I'm going to tell you two things. Okay, that you need to do to properly build is one, you need to know who you are. You need to know who you are. You need to remember the promises that God has spoken over your life and what God has said about you. He told me the devil is going to come after those things over and over in your life. And if you're not careful, you will lay them down. You will lay them down because you'll be so challenged by those things. The second thing he told me was, you need to get to know the Holy Spirit on a personal level. Because if you don't know the Holy Spirit, you're not going to know how to build. And you're not going to know what to do. And when he shows up, you're going to be put off by it. So, that was the, basically the dream. Um, First, I want to say this. I believe there's people in this room that God has given you some amazing revelation about the Lord. Okay? Amazing revelations. But because you have gone through things in your life that have been wounding to you and have been difficult to you, you've, let those, you've put those revelations down. Okay, you put those revelations down. 
And if you will be, if you'll think about it, the day you put them down, things became different for you in your spiritual life. You lost something when you laid those things down. And God is really asking people in this room today about things that He has spoken to you that you've laid down about getting them because He didn't ask you to lay them down. You laid them down because you were hurt or you were lost or you got messed up in your life and you, and you felt like that's, you, had to, you had to lay them down. You know, those things that God gives us are like a, a like, they're like a burden. My burden is uh, light, is what Jesus said, right? It's not like some heavy burden, but it is something that you have to carry. Okay, it's something you have to carry and carry it with you wherever you go. It's like having a backpack on, and in that backpack are the precious cargo, the precious things. The promises that God has given you, the dreams that God has given you, the revelations that God, whatever it is for you, they're in that. I had this other dream. I have lots of dreams. I had this other dream. I was walking down this path, and there was a backpack laying on the ground in front of me. And down a little bit further from me was, was Jesus, and he was standing there on this path looking at me and looking at the backpack. And when I got up to the backpack, I thought, hey, that backpack's mine. How'd it get here? And there was some stuff that was hanging out of the backpack. There was lights that were hanging out of the backpack. And I knew the Lord wanted me to get that stuff back in there and get something out of the backpack. And he wouldn't, like, go any further until I did that. In other words, you're not going anywhere, Byron. And this, this path that I was on led to a... a like an interstate highway. But he wasn't going to let me go any further until I got that backpack and got those things that were in there out or got the one thing out that I was supposed to get out, which happened to be a pair of shoes. Okay? There was a pair of running shoes. I know this sounds crazy to some of you. But the running shoes had a very unusual marking on them. I was looking at these shoes thinking, man, that's, those are tribal markings. That's some kind of tribe. And I knew I was supposed to put the shoes on. But I was thinking, these shoes are way, they ain't going to fit me. But I thought, I'm just going to put them on anyway. And as I put them on, the shoes fit my, conformed themselves to my feet. And even a pair of socks with those same tribal markings appeared in the shoes when I put them on. I don't know what it is, it's crazy. But I grabbed that backpack after I got that thing, and Jesus turned around and started going. And I knew he was saying, he looked back like, come on, it's time to go. And so I think, God, we're in a time where people have gone through some terrible stuff. And, and because you went through this terrible stuff, you begin to question some of the things. I'm not, I, I didn't really mean to get into all of this, but I think this is important. You begin to question some of what you believed and some things that you were passionate about in your life that really meant something to you. You begin to question those things because you were challenged. And, and those things were not necessarily working in your life for whatever reason. It may have not, they were not, may have not supposed to work then. It may have been a time and thing. Maybe they were a future thing. But because of those things, you just let go of them. And I know exactly that. Because one of the, the dreams that God has put in my heart is about revival. 
And that was one of the things that God was in, was in that backpack was revival. And that was one that was one of the reasons this guy Friedzon came to me to talk about revival because he was a revivalist in Argentina. He still is. And one of the reasons I gave up on it because I didn't see God moving in revival anymore. And I got discouraged in my heart. And then on top of that, I started hearing all these negative things about revival that were being preached on in the church. You know, that revival is, is not a good thing. And, and I was confused. Like, well, dog, the whole Bible, it starts all the way in Genesis. And all the way through the end, God's a, a reviving God. That's, that's what He does all the time. And there was this teaching that says, well, we're, we don't need to be revived. We're already alive. I'm like, well, that kind of makes sense, but it's not the truth. It's not the truth because if you go out of there and look at these trees that are blooming now, they're being revived. That's what springtime is, what God told me. He said springtime is revival. It's bringing back to life what was hidden in the winter. And see, God wants to bring back to life things in you that are deep in you, that's alive in you, but it's dormant in you. Every day, and that's what nature teaches us. That's what creation teaches us. Is that from time to time in our life, we need to be revived. Not that we've died, but what we have, the life that's in us. Why Paul said, stir the gift up, Timothy. He was saying, Timothy, you need a revival. Those things in you that are, that are real in you, they need to be revived and brought back to the service. There needs to be a blooming in your life. You're not blooming, you're living in the winter. I'm just telling you this morning, this is how I was challenged by. And so I wanted to, I wanted to know about things. I wanted to know from God about revival. I wanted to know from God about a lot of things that I believed, that I held dearly in my heart. And I was willing, I was willing to stop believing them if God would convince me that I should. If God would convince me. And I gave God the opportunity to convince me. I went, through a, a, I went through for years giving him the opportunity to change some things that I really believed and believed passionately. That I said, I'm willing to, and that was one of them, I'm willing to let it go. If that's, if that's not what you really want, if that's not the truth, I don't want it. So, anyways, so everybody has these unique revelations from the Lord. Yours may not be revival, it may be something else. Okay? And, they, and God gave them to you. They're yours. They belong to you. They don't belong to anybody else. They're yours. God gave them. Other people might have them, but you have a unique thing that God gave you. They're yours to have. And God is asking you today, if you're one of those people who've laid those things down, He's asking you to pick them up. He's asked you to get that backpack on and move on and start going forward with these things because that's what, when he told Peter, Peter, this revelation of me is going to, and, that I'm the rock and I'm going to give you keys. I'm going to give you this authority to do things and there are these revelations and if you will take those keys and see when you lay those things down, you've laid your authority down. And you don't have authority outside of that. You only have authority 
with what God's given you. I can't go over there to the Father's house in God and have authority. That's His authority. That was the key God gave Him. And everybody in this room, God has given you something that's precious to Him. But life will rob it from you. Life will rob it from you. And the devil will rob it from you. And good-meaning Christian people will rob it from you. And they can give you every great biblical understanding of why what you believe is wrong and it's not really got what God wants. Easily explain. And you can go away. But like I said the other day, or maybe a couple of weeks ago with you guys, where Paul says, I'm convinced. I'm convinced that death and all that, you know, that we had to go from just believing to something that we're convinced in our heart about. Okay? Therefore, I don't mind that I went through a lot of testing and questioning about what I believe about revival and some other things. Because when I came out the other day, I finally said, I'm convinced this is God for me. I don't know about everybody else. If they, want, they can believe what they want to believe about it, but I'm convinced, I'm convinced that God is interested in reviving people. He's interested in reviving the church. He's interested in moving in power. Very interesting. Well, found this book. Y'all okay? So, I found this book after I had the dream about Claudio. I'll, I'll read a couple of things out of the book. I love the name of the book. The name of the book is this. Holy Spirit, I hunger for you. Holy Spirit. It's, a, it's probably the best book on the Holy Spirit I ever read in my entire life. I mean, I just love that book. I love that man. I don't know what it is about him, but I love him. I love the spirit that's in him. There's something in him that's real to me. And, it, and when I've heard, and I've never heard him speak. You know, I've never, I've been in a room once where he gave a greeting, you know. And I've tried to get my Argentine friends to help me meet him. And they have declared they were going to do it numerous times. <laughs> and I'm still waiting on the final thing. Because one of them was even in his church for a while. And could give me access to one, but for some reason, she never did. <laughs> so this is, this is a couple of excerpts out of his books. First of all, let me just say this. In, in Argentina in the early 1980s, there was a businessman named Carlos Andaconda. I think it was a plumber, a plumbing supply business, right, Jim? Yeah, yeah. yeah. This guy, some, I don't know his story, but he became a mighty revivalist, evangelist in Argentina. And he had these stadiums that where people, would, thousands and thousands of people would go to these meetings and God was saving people, God was healing people, and God was delivering people of demons. I mean, just amazingly. I mean, it was like, you know, the whole nation was turned upside down by this ministry. It was a wave of God that came through, and God used this business guy to release God's uh, revival on the nation of Argentina. It's just an amazing move of God that happened in that nation. Really saved that nation from the hell they were going to face through their government in the years ahead. Because if you study revivals, one of the things you'll find out about revivals, lots of times 
God does a mighty revival and then something bleak happens in the nation. Even our nation. And or, or sometimes it's because something bleak's happening. God's trying to save the nation. You know, trying to save the nation. He'll bring a revival. That's the first great awakening in America. That's, it saved this country. We would not be a country today without, without that move of God. I'll tell you that right now. We would not be a nation. We would have gone down the tubes. And God used churches. He used a pe- some people for a move of God that became the great awakening. Phil was one of them and uh, the other guy, whatever his name was, you know, he is. Huh? Jonathan Edwards, I know what his name is. Anyways, in 1992, this is, God used Friedson uh, in the next wave of this revival. There was this evangelistic wave, this deliverance wave. And then in 92, God began to touch this guy, Claudio Friedson. And here's what he, this is what he said in his book. He said he began began to sense a need to know the person of the Holy Spirit. He just had this sense in him that he needed to know the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from God. That God puts something in here. I feel like I need to know the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just some theology that he read or some, some preaching. He may have heard somebody preach on here. We don't know exactly how, but he in within him felt something. Felt moved by God to know the Holy Spirit. I just think that's beautiful. And while he was seeking the Lord about this, the Holy Spirit... Spirit touched him in a powerful way, and his ministry dramatically changed from that moment on. He had a small church. The next time after the Lord touched him, he came to church, and there was people crowded around outside the building. He wasn't, it's not like in America where everybody's, you know, clamoring, you know, come to my thing, you know, and pay me money, and and we're going to have a great time. God's going to be there. He just went to church and did what he always did, but guess what? God came. And everything changed and people around in the community felt something. They felt God was doing something. And people are hungry for God when God really shows up. There's this hunger that attracts these people because they, they want God. They need God. Everybody does is crying out inside everybody in this room right now. And that's what's the beautiful thing about revival. It makes us aware of this need. It makes us feel like I just really need him. I want him. I want to be around him like we've seen. That's what happened with Friedson. And he said an unusual, an unusual presence of the Holy Spirit accompanied him in his meetings after that that resulted in four things. One was a renewed hunger for God in the people. A renewed hunger for God. Tell me that we don't need a renewed hunger for God. Everybody in this room, I need this. I need to be more hungry. I need the, the things I was feeling in worship. I want to feel them all the time. I want to wake up feeling like I, I want to be close to you, God. I don't want to just do it when I feel moved by worship. I want to wake up in the morning and feel that. And when I go to bed at night, the last thing I want to think is, I really need you. I want to be close to you, Lord. You're the most important thing in my life. I don't always feel that way. And then the next one was a, a new emphasis on personal holiness. A new emphasis on personal holiness. Well, we could always use that, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to yeah, I mean, that's a, a great thing. And the third one was a new desire for prayer. A new desire for prayer. And the fourth one 
was a desire, a, a desire for the demonstrations of the Spirit's power. In other words, people were saying, we want to see God do something. We don't want to just hear about it. You know, we don't want to just hear about He moved over there and, you know, wherever, 20, you know, 200 miles away. We can't get to Him. We need God to move here. That's what they were crying out for. And, and He did. He moved there because people were desperate for God to move. And I know people don't like their word desperate, but sometimes it's the way you feel in your heart. Like, I'm desperately hungry. Please feed me, Becky. <laughs> <laughs> Like, are we going to ever get supper tonight? You know, like, you know, it's 8 o'clock and we have an 8 and you said we were going to have supper. Anyways, thank you, Lord. Speaking about the state of the church in Argentina during that time, Claudio said, Pastors are seeking methods for church growth, but methods are not the answer. You hear that? Methods are not the answer. That's what he said. All these pastors, they were like wanting to see... And I know they were seeking it from a pure heart. They weren't just wanting to have a big church. They wanted to see God save people and touch people. And they were looking for methods to get, you know, to help people come and get saved and find God and love God and be discipled. But he said to them, methods are not what we need. We don't need methods. His counsel, there is no method. We must seek the presence of God. My message is simple. I'm emphasizing the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. I'm emphasizing the presence of the Holy Spirit. I saw this great quote by R.A. Torrey. He said, Before one can correctly understand the work of the Holy Spirit, he must first of all know the Spirit himself. He must get to know the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit's God. He's God. He's not junior God. He's not God the less. He's God. He's God. He's, the Holy Spirit's God. And, you know, we kind of need to speak, treat Him like He's God, like we're getting to know God. He's the God that's here with us while the Father and Jesus Christ are in heaven. The day's going to come when Jesus is going to come back to earth. Okay? That, that day's going to happen. But right now, Jesus' Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is with us. He's the Holy Spirit. He's called the Spirit of Grace. You know, he's called the Holy Ghost by some people, right? <laughs> Anyways, the more we know the Spirit, the more we're going to know Jesus. That's what the Scripture teaches. The more we know Jesus, we're going to know the Father, what the Scripture teaches. So, anyways, I think that's going to, that's what I, when I think about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I think about revival, when I think about this, I know we've associated with speaking in tongues, which I'm a, a very serious believer and practicer of speaking in tongues, just to make sure everybody understands that. But I think the most important thing is the Holy Spirit brings us into a, an encounter with God, a living encounter with God. We need the Holy Spirit. And I'm just here to say that I believe that God wants to bring a revival to us. And I feel like that has been the dream that God's put in my heart. And I've picked that dream back up. I picked that dream back up. I made a decision. I'm going to pick that dream back up. I'm good now. 
I get there's a lot of abuses and misinformation about revival and things that are called revival that are not that turn people off. I don't, but that's not my problem, right? I can't do anything about that. But I do want to stick to what the Bible declares about revival. Revivals, again, I believe that every one of us in this room need a measure of revival. Every, everyone, I am, if there was a line, I'd be the first one to get in it. Like, I desperately need that. And that's what I believe what Jesus was talking about, was being clothed with the Spirit and growing up in that and getting to know Him and having a relationship with the Holy Spirit, to me, is, is the beginning of, revival, of real, true revival. Amen? Sure. Sometimes I'll hear something from the Lord, and I'll just not want to get up to say anything in case it was me, but this is what I got during worship. The Lord spoke to me and said, I'm going to give you a revelation. Some people ask, why is the God of the Old Testament the God of law and war, and the God of the New Testament the God of grace and love, and yet I say that I'm God, I change not? Didn't it appear that I've changed? And the way he works in our lives one way, and then he's working in our life another way, doesn't it appear that God has changed? And he said, look at the seasons. I've established the seasons. And though the seasons change, each season was my will for that time. Seasons change, I change not. And so the work that he has in our life that may have come to the end in that season, a new season begins. But that doesn't mean that season isn't going to come back around again. Isn't that cool? I wish I would have said it before he preached all this, but... <laughs> yeah, that's great. Thank you, Lord. This is a little awkward, and I don't normally do this, but um, during worship, I also had a word that uh, I was asking the Lord, how does this fit? And it's exactly what you were saying. And what the Lord was speaking to me is that he is a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And Many things will take those promises away from us, like Byron was saying. The loss of a vision, uh, a dream, a hope, a healing, because things are prolonged. And we see somebody else died of cancer, or somebody else got divorced, or somebody else was childless. But if you remember, uh, God gave promises to his people he told Joseph that his people would come into bondage. And it was 400 years before they were delivered. But they were delivered, right? He told Abraham that he would give him a promised child. But it was a long time. Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah was 90 years old before they got that child. David was promised to be king. He was anointed when he was 17 years old, but it was another 17 years of hiding, running, fear before he actually became that king. So God makes promises. He keeps promises. And I feel like what he's saying today is if you were at a ball game where your favorite player hit a home run right to you, you would be jumping up and you would be grabbing that ball, wouldn't you? Yeah, if you made your first hole in one, that ball would be so precious to you, you would never let it go. You would be hanging on to that, right? So I felt like God was saying, 
Listen, I've promised you health. I've promised you healing. I've promised you restoration. I've promised you victory. I've promised that you would be an overcomer. I've promised that no weapon formed against you would prosper ever, not ever. I've promised that you are conquerors. You are victorious. You are overcomers. And I feel like Lord is saying, you need to jump up today and you need to grab that ball. And I know that we're, we're running over here, but, you know, I just feel like the Lord is saying right now, if you have got a promise that has been delayed for whatever reason, you've just laid it down because you're disappointed, you're discouraged, you can't see, there's no way that God could ever restore your finances or whatever it is. I feel like God is saying right now, people, we need to stand up. We need to raise up our hands, and we need to grab a hold of that ball, and we need to run with it, just like Byron is saying. Yes, all over the place. Come on. I know that you have broken promises. I know that you have disappointment, but God is saying today that it's yours. He's turning that disappointment. He's turning that discouragement. He's turning that delay, and it is ours. We just have to stand and say, God, I take it. I take it. You say it out loud. I'm receiving it, Lord. I'm catching that ball, and I am not going to let it go this time. Just like Byron's saying about revival, we're not going to let it go. Father, we give you praise, and we thank you that you are a promise-giving and a promise-keeping. You are a deliverer, Lord. In Jesus' name, today we receive those things that have been delayed in our lives and our expectation Lord is it that they will come to pass and they will come to pass quickly Lord you have said that this is a year where you're moving quickly you're moving quickly you are accelerating things Father and we give you praise and we thank you now we take it in Jesus name and we give you the glory Lord, we are expecting many testimonies across this com congregation in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Ooh, thank you, Lord. That's good, isn't it? Lots of times we develop theology to explain why things ain't happening in our life. And you start living from that bad doctrine, that bad theology. So what God wants to do for you is break that out of you today and give you a, a new theology, his theology, Jesus. He's God's theology. Amen. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. We're going to catch, Lord, all you have for us, Lord.